Blog Talk Radio. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Will a strong and united America still be a force for freedom and prosperity around the world? America has created the longest peacetime economic expansion in our history. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Good common sense and sound judgment of the American people and their essential love of justice. Hi, welcome to Kazoo Vine for January 19th, 2020. I'm your host, David McLaughlin. Joining me as always, welcome Catherine Smith. Greetings from Atlanta. And welcome Tim Shiflett. Good evening, sir. All right, let's get on the start on the show, but let's set it up first. Um, in about 20 minutes, we're going to have our guest, uh, coming back from Red Racing Horses for uh, several times now, uh, Mr. Jackson Dar. Jackson's always very informative, tells us a lot about a, different, a lot of different races because, of course, they cover um, the horse race side of things from a Republican perspective. So it's kind of a, a, a different – it's not, you know, super partisan all the time on issues, but it's uh, looking at the races. and So it's a nice um, kind of blend to have Jackson on and get his um, uh, perspective. And until then, we're going to discuss a few issues, and one thing that's going to dominate our political landscape pretty much at least next week and and very possibly after that is going to be the Senate uh, phase of the impeachment trial. Uh, The documents were delivered from the House to the Senate, And now it is time to um, proceed with some type of Senate trial. And, Catherine, it's a pretty big unknown. Any ideas what type of Senate trial we may see? You know, it's still really up in the air. Um, I watched some of the morning shows this morning, and no one seems to really have any uh, real confidence in what's going to happen, whether we're going to see witnesses or – uh, additional documents. Um, you know, it's a real, it's a real mystery <laughs> or you know, puzzle. I guess is a better word. Um, I guess we'll see you on Tuesday at noon. Yes. Well, um, and and maybe we'll have some indication because, of course, if they're going to call witnesses, you'd think they'd have to subpoena them, and then they would have to make arrangements to be in D.C. Um, it's not like they can just call an Uber over to K Street or wherever they may be and, and go pick them up. Um, or that more like uh, old school, they'd take a van and, and put a bag over their head and throw them in the back of the van um, <laughs> if they were calling witnesses that way. Um, but seriously, Tim, you know, there's two schools of thought. I guess the Republicans could just say, well, we think this whole thing's a farce and we're just going to vote up or down and it's over. But then also there's another school thinking that, they could call witnesses of their liking, but then I guess that opens it up for Democrats to call other witnesses. So um, what would be the pros and cons of both avenues for, I guess, Mitch McConnell and, and what he's taking since he's in control? Well, uh, obviously the, the, the pros for Mitch McConnell would be, would be to have none at all. Uh, and, but, uh, Mainly because there would be a no surprises. B, uh, there you could speed up the process. Now the first thing they're going to do Tuesday, uh, when they gavel in at one o'clock, uh, 
is there going, there's going to be a debate and vote on a resolution that sets the rules for the trial. Um, now, this is where we find out if there will, at any point, be any vote on whether to allow witnesses and introduction of documents, by the way, which uh, Parnas, for instance, has a has a treasure trove of those. Um, if anybody's watching it, it might be, they might go into closed session. Now, the reason for that is that senators are not supposed to speak publicly during the impeachment trial, which means that the public could not be watching what they have to say in this debate. So I assume they're going to go into closed session. But then we should find out pretty quick where we stand. At any rate, I do not think, and this is a con for the Democrats, uh, there's not going to be any vote on any witnesses probably until after um, a couple of other things are done. Opening arguments, which are up to 24 hours per side. Um, oh, my God. And, and now, now, when they're in session six days a week for five or six hours each day, you could see how that could slow things. It, it could take ten days for open opening arguments. Although the Republicans are looking for ways to expedite the process, why are they trying to expedite the process? February the fourth. What happens on February the fourth, guys? The State of the Union. What do you think, David? Yes. And I've heard that, you know, they've already, you know, made statements, I believe, uh, Lindsey Graham saying that there'd be no delays um, in the State of the Union, which um, that would lead me to believe they're not going to call witnesses because if they get into witnesses and they've got to get, of course, the logistics done for one thing, and then, of course, we just don't know how long each witness will testify. Mm -hmm. You would think, like, if it was like the other phase, each witness might be half a day. Um, Lev Parnas could, you know, and John Bolton. If he gets called, they could each be a whole day to themselves. That's pretty ironic, I think, that you have John Bolton who, you know, people are discussing him testifying. Democrats want him to testify, and Republicans don't want him to testify. Who would have thought that would have happened, um, Catherine, say, 10 years ago when he was working in the Bush administration? Yeah, that's a, that's a, it's a surprise. Yeah, I mean, that's just a weird world we live in. Now, one thing I did hear discussed in the last little bit would be that Republicans could use this to cut call. Um, certainly they would want to call Hunter Biden, but possibly even Vice President Biden, and then other um, individuals um, that I guess were more related to Hunter Biden. Um, Tim, what do you think are the – kind of pitfalls if they were to do that or there is it more upside or are, if they go down, down that avenue well you know you know what i don't i don't think there are any pitfalls to call in hunter biden because I, I, I don't think he did anything i mean what's he gonna tell them i tell them we will we'll we'll let y'all have hunter biden and we'll take bolton right now yeah no questions asked now, there is another thing that is going to happen, though, probably before they even have this vote on whether to call witnesses or not, and that is this. Each senator 
how long that'll take. Four senators an hour. Right. Twenty-five hours. That, that could be. I could wipe out a whole week by itself. Remember, the Clinton impeachment took five weeks, and it moved along at a pretty good clip. I don't see how they're going to expedite this process, and before the State of the Union, I just don't see how they're going to do it. If each senator takes their fifteen minutes, now some may decide not to, but I imagine most of them will. Because uh, yeah. they'll want to ask questions and and make comments and this and that and the other. There's another thing. Uh, McConnell is probably expected to possibly allow the the defense to move for dismissal. But Catherine, you were mentioning the morning shows. You probably saw Lindsey Graham on one of them, and and he said this morning the Republicans did not have the votes to dismiss. Uh, what does that mean, guys? They got three or four that are going off the farm on them, or off well, that the was reservation. My question or... is, what is the th- what's the threshold on dismissal? I mean, I mean, is it a simple majority, or do they have to have more uh, than a majority? I, I think I think it's two thirds, ain't it, or is it? Well, then you know even if it, even if it's a majority, they don't. They apparently don't have it. Yes. Well, any indication? Well, um, oh, go ahead, Kathy. I think there's a, a, you know, there's a lot of um, support for witnesses and documents in the polling. <clears throat> Something mm-hmm. like seventy-five percent of the people that polled uh, want at least witnesses or documents or both. And so it's a, it's a, um, a fine needle to thread to satisfy the 75% of those people who want that, but also keep the um, Trump base uh, happy so that that none of these guys lose their primary if they're in primary. So I think the GOP is a little bit uh, scared. You know, they don't, they, they have a, um, like I said, they have a fine, a fine needle to thread to make sure that this doesn't kick them in the butt. Yes, and Catherine, I think you're right. I heard Nancy Pelosi on Bill Maher say, I think over 70, and then, you know, that's probably going to round real closely to 75. It's incredibly high to hear uh, witnesses to see documents. But then um, who are the people that people are speculating, which GOP senators are um, possibly going to say that they want to have witnesses in a trial. Um, has anybody been leaked, I guess, yeah. if you will, to be on that list? Okay, Tim? Yeah, well, Romney, the usual suspects, Murkowski, Collins. Now, there's been a lot of questions about that fourth one, but it appears the fourth one may be Lamar Alexander, who, as you know, is retiring and plus, he's a he's a he's an institutionalist, you know. Uh, Alexander is, and there may be a couple of more to go with that. So, yeah, I can't remember, I, I, but I think I seem to recall some other names, but I don't remember who they were. So, um, but 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 you know, it, it's it's basically the usual suspects, and I and uh you know, Murkowski is very independent, maybe the most independent senator, Republican senator there, there is now that uh, 
now that McCain is gone, and, and, and no one's surprised at Mitt Romney and Colin C., as we will discuss later on with our guests especially, uh, has, has got some political problems in her home yeah. state. And, uh, you know, she, she just is about going to have to uh, play this type of ball during this thing. Uh, she can't come across as a Trump loyalist, and she can't come across at the same time as throwing in with the enemy. So she, she, she's going to have to tread carefully. But I believe she's going to support these witnesses and and documents. It's, uh, uh, it, like Catherine says, safe thing to do with seventy five percent of the public, including a majority of Republicans, supporting it. So, so. You know, I, I think it's a no-brainer. You know, people, guys, uh, made light of Nancy Pelosi delaying. But see, a lot of this oh, stuff was- has happened during the delay. Uh, as far as knowing politics, that woman's a national yeah. treasure. Yeah, I mean, I mean, not only was it over the holidays and and they weren't going to do anything anyway, but it allowed right. information to come out uh, like the left Parnas uh, stuff mm-hmm. information, and so it, it, she was vindicated there, I think, and she did in terms of the document. She just didn't drag it out unnecessarily, so she played it in a very diplomatic way. Um, let's kind of talk about. Oh, go ahead, Tim. I was just going to say and. The public actually moved in our direction on the witness because at first there wasn't this big groundswell of public support for that, and it's just gotten more and more and more and more till now even Mitch McConnell is not going to be able to ignore it, is he? Right. One wasn't thinking. I mean, he's even up for re-election, although I kind of – I'm not as so sure I believe some of the poll numbers I've seen on that. They seem a little too rosy, um, but it, it's not the point where well, maybe anything. Not. Um, since he's maybe, an election maybe. year, and Kentucky just had a Democrat elected for yeah, governor. Maybe not, I ask you about, yeah, I want to ask you about three other senators that are kind of busy right now that would probably like to be places in Iowa and South Carolina and New Hampshire and Nevada, but they have to be in D.C. if there's a Senate trial, which there will be. Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, Amy Klobuchar, I guess Michael Bennett. I'll add him to the list. Right. Are there any more senators still standing um, in the presidential primary? Is it those four? I think that's it. No, those four. Yeah, because we we have Booker and and, um, a few other – Gillibrand and a few others. So we're down to those four. Um, Catherine – what do those four do? Do they try to then just get on TV in the um, Senate trial, or do they just, you know, hope that their ground games uh, can carry them while, you know, Vice President Biden, Mayor Pete, Andrew Yang have the um, states to themselves? I assume they have some very strong surrogates that will be mm-hmm. in Iowa, New Hampshire, Nevada, South Carolina. Um, talking to their supporters, explaining the importance of um, of the impeachment, and that you know these senators are t- take their commitments very seriously, and um, this is a very 
uh, important moment in American history. I mean, I think they can uh, roll that out pretty well. The person that's probably hurt the most is Michael Bennett because he's, you know, he, well, I don't know how well he's known in the, in, on the, in the ground game, but um, I think that in Iowa and uh, I think that the voters understand how important this is. And if they have strong surrogates out there, um, you know, showing up and, um, encouraging the supporters. I, I think I think they'll be okay. I think, uh, and maybe they may be able to get away, you know, in the evenings or in the mornings or something, and on the weekends to shore that up if necessary. Yeah, and um, Tim, your thoughts? Well, it's 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 just simple. Six days a week. One o'clock to six o'clock every day, possibly the first day, longer than that. They're going to be locked up in there do, doing doing this business, and that's just that. I do agree with Catherine that they're going to have some strong surrogates in there. They had to know this was coming for a while, uh, so they've had time to plan with their campaigns about what to do. And we're down to the case that, you know, the caucuses are a little over two weeks away. And uh, I, I would think most people have already made up their minds how they're going to vote. Uh, now it's where the campaigns take over and make preparations to get their people out to the caucuses. Right. Uh, the speech-making time is just about done. Anything else they need to do, I would think that they could do in television and radio and newspaper ads. Uh, so uh, I've, I've got to agree with Catherine on this. That I don't think it's going to make uh, a great deal of difference at this point about that. Now, if this thing stretches on and they have, you know, New Hampshire and beyond that, then it could get serious. But yeah, not that's true. Right. I agree. Yeah, and I'll tell you this. You made a good point about radio. You said ads, and of course you'll run ads and all, and then you're fundraising. Uh, they got to right. figure out that. But um, they could do morning shows from D.C., you know, and they won't right. be tied up in session. Because so, most morning shows are even before work hours. And so they'll, they'll still be able to hit those. Also, they probably could even get back and forth to, like, uh, you know, on pl- short plane trips to South Carolina and possibly to New Hampshire. Um, since those are shorter drives, or, I'm sorry, flights. Mm-hmm. But you know, Nevada, any kind out. of ground game they're going to do there, that's probably out unless there is a day where they just don't have a trial, or you do Saturdays. Um, and, and then same thing with Iowa, because that, that's halfway across the country as well. Um, so that may kind of, you know, tweak their strategy. They may spend a little more on time uh, on the ground time in those two states. But, you know, Iowa is just such a different animal, and it's been so fluid. Hadn't it? In the past few um, weeks, we've had at least three polling leaders. Mayor Pete, Elizabeth Warren, I know have led the polls. I'm not sure if Bernie Sanders ever did, but he's also been at least as high as two. <clears throat> and now Joe Biden is leading in the last few polls. So the, the, the leader in the polls, and of course, the way Iowa works is really you know strange, so you really can't 
hope you know you know feel that that lead will necessarily hold, but it has changed around. Um, uh, Catherine, do you think it's set in, or do you think it's still moving? I think it's still moving. Yeah. I don't think it's. Um, and I also wanted to say one more thing about um, the candidates and um, and the impeachment trial. The other thing is, hopefully, they'll take advantage of technology and do you know maybe some uh, evening like electronic town halls and conference calls and that kind of thing. Because that can be very um, powerful for um, for supporters to hear from the candidates, even if it's just on a you know video or a conference call. So hopefully they'll take advantage of those opportunities as well in the evening well, and weekend. Well, one more yeah, question about this. Go ahead, Jim. I was I was going to throw in one more question about this impeachment thing. There's something I mentioned earlier. The State of the Union is February the 4th. There's nothing that Donald Trump would like better, and uh, I'm going to stop right there, David. Yeah, and and we'll get back at it because we got more aspects of this discussion. Um, But I'm trying to pull it on. Yes. Uh, Welcome back to the show. I don't know how many times now, Mr. Jackson Dar. Welcome, Jackson. Hey, y'all. How you doing? All right. Have you back? Yeah, well, it's been yeah, a while, it's good buddy, to be there. but um, there's a lot, been a lot of politics happening since you've been on. And first off, this presidential primary has um, you know, heated up, and obviously we're all Democrats and, and maybe different shades of blue for each of us, but we're all blue. You come of it from the other side of the aisle looking in, and so we want to get kind of a Republican's take on what has happened so far in the primary, you don't have to go through every little thing, but, you know, hit your high spots. Sure. Well, the first thing I want to say is I don't know what y'all were discussing right before since I just rushed into the House, but I will say that whatever uh, he just said Donald Trump wants, I am very assured that what he wants most is a Diet Coke and a Big Mac. Um, <laughs> so I have to take some issue with whatever he just said. Um, but anyway <clears> – <throat> Um, you know, we, we talked a few months ago, and at the time I sort of said, look, this is, this is Biden's to lose unless Sanders and Warren supporters can coalesce around one candidate, in which case Biden's in big trouble, more likely Sanders than Warren. And, and since then, we've seen, boom, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of echoes of 2012 from the Republican side in this. As a Republican, I look at this thing and I go, man, this, this looks like, 2012 or even 2016 where you know there's there's one person that you know that looks like they're going to get it it's not a foregone conclusion different parts of the electorate that don't want that main candidate in in you know the case of romney trump biden you know they keep looking at different people and say well maybe i like Buttigieg. well maybe i like uh well harris for about five minutes uh you know, maybe i like warren you know and and it's not always the same people. You know, a lot of people going for looking at Buttigieg for a minute, you know, probably aren't the same people looking at Warren or at least a lot of the same people. But, you know, some, some people are looking, depending on your state, are looking at Steyer and Bloomberg now, apparently, you know. But with, without a clear challenge to Biden, I, I still think it's his race to lose. Now, the last national poll I saw had Sanders ahead of him by one point, 20 to 19. 
everyone else sort of spread out. And, you know, I, I think Sanders could win some early states here. And if that causes Warren to drop out, then, then that's a scenario Biden needs to be scared of, right? Sanders and Warren don't completely go for the same person, but most of your Sanders voters and most of your Warren voters would rather go to each other's camps, e- e- even given even given the recent quarrels between them. Maybe that'll make the Sanders people mad enough that they wouldn't go to Warren. I don't know, but I don't see Sanders dropping out either. And, you know, th- that's that's what Biden's got to worry about. Now, I will say as an outsider looking in from that perspective, this has been quite a good bit of, uh, I got the extra buttered popcorn for some of this stuff. Um, you know, uh, I, I'm not going to, you know, your show, I'm not going to come on here and bash a bunch of them because frankly, some of them have impressed me. Um, a couple have, uh, Buttigieg has gone way farther than I ever thought he would. If he loses in Iowa, he will have, you know, he will have kind of gone over my expectations. So not saying I'd, you know, love the guy's politics or anything, but he's definitely impressed me. Um, a couple others have as well. I didn't think Yang was going to be in this long either. I mean, I thought he'd be, well, that's not true. I thought he'd be in through Iowa, but the fact that he ended up with more than 1% support is also quite, uh, quite interesting. Probably has to do with the age of the internet, but, uh, same yeah. thing with Gabbard. Um, yeah, and honestly, Yang, I mean, I don't know if you saw him on Bill Maher and really other appearances too. He's pretty, he's just pretty likable. I mean, if you had to be stuck in a car for 10 hours with one of them, I mean, Andrew Yang's probably uh, higher on the list just because he's just likable seeming. Um, I just yeah, yeah. I, I, feel I, like had, I feel like if you had week. a conversation, I feel like you've had conversations with each of them. Sanders would be interesting to talk to for like 10, 15 minutes, and then he'd start repeating himself. Buttigieg would start repeating himself, but Sanders would start repeating himself not because not because it's a script or anything. It's just what he truly believes and he wants to hammer at home. Buttigieg would keep repeating himself because, and he's done well with this. He's kind of on script. Um, you know, Gabbard would, would, would probably say a couple different things, but I, I'd probably get into a shouting match with her. I'm sure y'all would too, but for different reasons. Um, for different reasons. Um, but, uh, you know, uh, and, you know, Biden but I, I really asleep. think you could sit there. What's that? Biden would fall asleep. Biden, yeah, right. <laughs> Biden would fall asleep. And, you know, Yang would actually sit there and, like, engage and, like, answer your questions and ask questions back to you instead of just spitting campaign stuff at you. Um, whether very sincere like Bernie or not as much from other, other you know, crowd. So I, I feel like Yang you could really have an actual conversation with. Um, unfortunately, that's not very good for politics outside of the very local variety. So, you know. Yeah. Running for city uh, council, uh, that's yeah. amazing. <laughs> yeah, you got to put it into 30 seconds. Well, uh, well let me kind of uh, change gears on you because uh, we got a lot of different things to cover. Um, oh, I got one more, wanna, one more thing. You know, I go, to, thing I go ahead. One more thing. Yes. When Warren's boomlet started, when Warren's boomlet started, I and a bunch of friends of mine got really excited. Like, really, 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 really excited. We fooled ourselves into thinking that, you know, what's the Ron Paul meme? It's happening, right? Um, we fooled ourselves. We fooled ourselves into thinking she might actually get the nomination, and we were so excited. So y'all can rest assured on that point. 
we shall see. Uh, yeah, I guess I mean I think she's one of those. The more you learn about her and hear her intellect, the the better she'll do. It's, there's a there's a arc there, and she's got to pass that arc. But let's kind of move on because because I know the strength of red racing horses is y'all cover, you know, down to those House and Senate and Governor, even down ballot races. And so I want to talk about uh, what I think. Oh yeah, is I mean we cover we cover something like Uruguay. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> we're not doing a Uruguay tonight. We're we're not versed for that one. Um, maybe another different one. Um, but we wanted to talk about two of the house races, and we'll start out with the um, Texas district that Will Hurd currently occupies. It it actually borders more of the Mexican border than any other district in America. Um, and Will Hurd, a very thoughtful, uh, more moderate Republican, and he's leaving the house. He, he's just had enough or either he wants to do something else in his life and he's moving on and that's going to be an open seat and he almost lost it last time and it seems to me if, if will Hurd can't hold it it's going to be tough um what's your thoughts on that race well a couple things it, it surely is in danger i will say first of all the thing he left he isn't leaving politics the thing he left to do was to start an organization to try to promote um to try to get a bunch of minority republicans through primaries stuff like that um so he he sort of started it which there's actually been a bigger push this cycle for an from the nrcc but that's a whole other discussion um so that's what he's doing yes he was a very uh very good definitely on the moderate ish side but still pretty conservative he he was but he was a very 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 good in one of these tireless campaigner types and yeah he held it by half a point and it's going to be tough without him I will say you don't have the, you know, anti-Cruz, pro-Beto thing going on anymore. And it is a, it is a, you know, a little bit of a, a little bit of bigger electorate, even though 2018 is pretty high for a midterm. One more thing that I will say, basically, yes, it is in danger. The primaries, there's multiple candidates on each side. We don't know who's coming out of them yet. It's free-for-alls at this point. Um, I will say that the part about it being on the border actually – in the past, maybe, but these days, that's actually not to Republicans' detriment. What's to Republicans' detriment is that it reaches into South San Antonio. Um, the border counties actually moved right in 2016, even the majority Hispanic ones, by an average of like seven to ten points or something. But they're small, and there aren't that many of them. People, there aren't as many people there. But the fact that it's on the border actually isn't really is is either neutral or frankly in Republicans favor these days because rural Hispanics are moving right they did so in Texas New Mexico and southern Colorado it's just that most Hispanics of course aren't rural um but the real problem is the south san antonio precincts which will probably have higher turnout so that one's a free for all i don't we'll have to see the candidates come out of the primary Yes, and one reason I think it's important to mention that is not so much because of the political dynamics of it. It was just that Will Hurd, you know, he actually knew something about border politics, and he knew the wall wasn't going to work. And he talked about how you could actually build maybe little pieces, funnel people towards checkpoints, then actually get surveillance equipment where you could identify people that really were detrimental to the country but not people that weren't, and you could actually get people in legally. Uh, keep out people that shouldn't have been in, and it was a much more thoughtful approach than just build a big, beautiful wall. Um, and that's why I guess it's important to always say that with him because it gave him some credibility on that issue. Um, well, let me ask you about another race, and this is kind of the opposite. 
Democrats aren't expected to lose too many districts or even be have, have too many at risk in this coming election um, unless things you know really change from 2018. But one that I think Democrats are really going to have to defend is Minnesota 7, Colin Peterson. It's, I guess, the most Bush – I'm sorry, the most Trump district, um, but it's still held by a Democrat. It's up in the northern range, um, the iron range, and it's actually, um, it's actually it's the kind of place Minnesota. where – yeah, at Western Minnesota, and it's just a place where Democrats are not doing well anymore. Right, this district that. is the is the epitome of what used to be the F in DFL. The Minnesota Democratic Party is actually called the Democrat Farmer Labor Party. Um, this was, you know, the big farming district. This is almost half the state by land area, or it's like a third or something like that. It's crazy, um, and you know, it's, it's basically the Dakotas. Is basically what it is, and yeah. Peterson's very popular. I think from 2016 to 2018, he only lost a point, uh, which, you know, mm. 2018 was a more Democratic year. But then again, that was down from five points to four uh, in, his, in his win margin. Now, it's just been going down steadily, sometimes by two points, sometimes by three points, sometimes by one point for the last, oh, God, you know, decade and a half, if not more, um, from, from really high numbers. He's had good opponents. He's had bad opponents. 2016 and 2018, he had the same opponents, so we can get some comparison there. I, I'll tell you right now, I think the man's got one cycle left in him. I, I think, I think he's gonna, I think he's gonna make it by a razor thin margin this time. And it's just because districts that change that fast do, do change fast, but, but the difference is there's not a lot of growth in this district, so it's the same people. So. It's not like there's a bunch of sudden new, like, Republican exurban growth at the edge or something that's pushing it right. It's an older district. You know, a lot, a lot, a lot of the yeah, – frankly, it's a district where the young people are probably just as Republican as the older one. In fact, the, the older people may be more Democratic than the younger ones. It's one of those few. Um, some, of the, some of the other outstate Minnesota districts are like that too, especially the eight. But um, anyway, I, I actually think he's going to just barely hold on. See the writing on the wall and retire next cycle is my guess, but but that isn't but that isn't our top target. It's the most Trump district, but it's not the top target. My opinion, okay. the top targets are are Oklahoma five, uh, which is Oklahoma City, uh, uh, South Carolina, which is Kendra Horn, uh, South Carolina one, which Joe Cunningham. I mean, those are wave babies if I've ever seen them. Um, and uh, what's his name in New Jersey seven uh, with the Polish last name. Anyway, Tom Kane's running against him, and I mean, I think those are probably the three Democratic seats that are in the most danger. Malinowski, yes. that's it. Malinowski. Yeah. Well, there's a little bit of analogous nature. We had a you know a, a district that have, probably has a good bit of Canadian border to go along with our southern district, a lot of Mexican border um, to frame it. But there's you know there'll be more seats in play, and there's other ones that could flip the other way that we just didn't discuss. Because we know we got a lot of U.S. Senate seats to cover, so I'm going to pass it to Catherine. She'll pass it to Tim, and if there's anything they didn't cover, I may pick it up for them. Catherine, hey, thanks for being on tonight. We really appreciate it. Um, yeah, sure. I wanted to ask you <clears throat> about the Georgia Senate, the two Georgia Senate seats. Uh, of course, the David Perdue seat, which is up, he's up for re-election, and then the. Um, Isaacson seat, which uh, Kelly, what's her name? Loeffler. Loeffler is in 
and she'll be she has, she's running she has to run again for it in November and then again in 2022. I guess. Uh, so what are your what do you think about the sort of lay of the land in those two races? Well, I think the one with Loeffler and theoretically Doug Collins, if he does run, is the one that's getting a lot more press. Um, it doesn't make sense. It's an open seat. The other one's got an incumbent. Um, uh, I'll treat them slightly differently, and I'll tell you the two differences between them. So one of them is, you know, the one's got the incumbent. The other difference is the method of election. Okay. Right. So, so you've got – there's this thing called – LRTT and CRTT, and they just mean Louisiana rules top two and California rules top two. This is being run under California rules top two. Louisiana, the only difference with Louisiana is if you get 51% in the first round, you just win. Um, And they actually get used a lot for special elections, both of them. But anyway, um, but this is California rules top two, which means, as you pointed out, that the two top people advance to the next round. Now, if the Democrats could manage, you know, if you had like four or five Republicans running and the Democrats could manage to get just two major candidates, that which they may still manage, uh, but I think three Democrats, major Democrats are declared. Uh, I may have I maybe slightly off. Then, you know, you, you could or you could easily get the seat. You know, fractured fields are really bad for that kind of thing. This is pretty lucky for Republicans, though, in that if there had been a really bloody primary, and there may still be some you know, back and forth, you know, between Collins and Loeffler, it could have gotten really nasty. I mean, it may still get a little nasty, but it won't be as much in an all-party primary. And bringing the other one into it, so what you, what you really got to think for both of them really is, you know, maybe Purdue gets a little bit, uh, a few extra points for, you know, incumbent work, what do you, you know, um, his, bro- his cousin's name, what have you. But <laughs> the question is, you know, you're right. Well, his cousin was governor. Uh, do you think, you know, the question does it come down to? Do you think George is going to flip at the presidential level this cycle? Right. I mean, it, it could just so happen that something very strange happens, and either Collins or Loeffler makes it, and one of them says something really stupid between now, between then and January. But assuming that doesn't happen, you've got to think to yourself: these two races are probably no more than a point or two apart in the final analysis maybe just a point really i wouldn't be surprised if it was not as much um so what you got to think is you know you know what's the democratic strategy well the democratic strategy they try you know tried it in 2018 which was turn out everyone in atlanta you can find focus on atlanta turnout you know maybe do some stuff in the other smaller cities in the state but just ramp it up ramp it up ramp it up and it looked like it was going to work, but with a favorable year, but it didn't. Now, I'm not saying, you know, without Stacey Abrams, that might, the turnout might not be there, but also the turnoff might not be there. So Stacey Abrams actually managed to turn out more voters in Atlanta and in the black community in general, not white voters in Atlanta, black voters in Atlanta, but especially black voters in Atlanta, than anyone had ever managed to do. Crazy numbers, great numbers. But she still lost by 50,000 votes. Why is that? Well, that's because in a lot of other areas of the state where she decided not to really touch at all, the Kemp managed to 
not just beat Trump in percentage numbers, but actually beat him in raw vote totals in a lot of southern counties. Um, a lot of, I should say a lot of southern Georgia. It's Georgia. They're all southern. But um, a lot of southern Georgia counties. Um, it, was, it was kind of crazy. We watched it coming in uh, election night 2018, and all of us over the website, the RRH, were just flabbergasted. Um, but we went and checked it. It all checked out. And basically, the thing is, you can pump up Atlanta turnout so much, but you've got to talk to the rest of the state as well. And if you've got, you know, a state campaign, maybe they can fix that problem. But now you're dealing with a presidential race. And are those same people going to be as excited to turn out for, in Atlanta, going to be as excited to turn out for not Stacey Abrams? Well, I'm sure they want to get rid of Trump. But she was turning out, you know, people better than Clinton was, and they were trying to vote against Trump, too. So if Georgia's going to flip, I think it's still several cycles away. And so, no, I, I don't think you'll see large Republican margins in terms of percentage, but I don't see either of them going away absent a scandal. Maybe if you'd had a big primary for the open one, but, again, there isn't. So that's okay. my opinion. Thank you for that analysis. I, I don't entirely disagree with you. <laughs> but I think uh, – I think we'll have to see how much uh, – I, I think it's possible that there will be uh, a pretty nasty uh, ad campaign between Loeffler and Collins, if Collins jumps in. Oh, it's um, always possible. And I don't but – I, but again, I don't know what impact that has on the Democrats. You know, you know, it might have an impact on the Republicans, but it may not make much difference to the Democrats. So we'll see. Uh, I'm sure it will start heating up shortly. <laughs> I'm going to pass it to Tim now for his questions. Thanks so much, Jackson. No problem. Good evening, Mr. Darn. Thank you for being on with us tonight. Uh, as luck would have it, I also want to talk, uh, first of all, about uh, someone named Collins. Uh, morning consult in its ranking of senators. Now list Susan Collins as the least liked senator in the country. But, you know, I have been hearing since she got elected, I believe in 1996, I think she took Bill Cohen's place there. Uh, she did. Oh, she's in trouble this cycle. She's in Maine. Maine's trending blue, blah, 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 blah. And then she wins, and normally by very healthy margins. So I've got to ask. Does her likability or lack of it translate into votes in Maine? And if she is in trouble, why is, why is it different this time? A little bit of this, a little bit of that. I mm -hmm. think she has lost some of her likability. Her numbers have plummeted. Now, she's always had – her dislike has always been from two camps. It's been from your hardcore Democrats. And uh -huh. some of your hardcore Republicans, from some of your hardcore Republicans who thought she was too moderate. So that's in the past now. But she, uh -huh. you know, she had positive likability and all of that because most of her party and some of the other one liked her. So she has definitely lost a lot of the Democrats that used to cross over for her. That is uh -huh. true. That has certainly happened. The question is that that dislike factor. How much of that is – is there still a camp of Republicans that will still say they dislike her but will still pull the lever, just like there was before? Have they gone away or have they come home? 
We don't know. We don't know because Morning Consult, in that specific that specific quote from Morning Consult anyway, I checked, does not come with party breakdowns. Okay. Uh-huh. Now, if I really wanted to, I could ask because it just so happens that the guy that runs the political polling outfit at Morning Consult is a fraternity brother of mine. Went to college with him. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm not going to ask him because every time I ask for that, he just sort of smiles. Um, anyway, <laughs> is that the point is that um, we don't know where it's coming from. If, as I suspect, 10 or so percent of that is just Republicans who are still like, well, she voted for Kavanaugh, but I don't like this from back in the day, and I don't like that, you know, that that would mean she's probably still cruising for a much reduced but still, you know, majority election victory. There's another uh, factor to take into consideration as well, which is Maine did trend blue in the past. However, at least in 2016, it trended right by a few points. Now, mm-hmm. Clinton still won it. And, of course, whichever Democrat is the nominee will still get the vote from the Southern District of Maine. Trump will likely get the vote from the Northern District of Maine again. We'll, we'll see. But that new ranked choice voting thing only applies for, uh, only applies for state you, – you, you, or it doesn't go for president. That's, that's a, I think, illegal. But everything else it goes for. So, mm-hmm. you know, Maine oh, – that, that other electoral vote, the one – or the other two, the, one that are, the ones that are at large, there is a chance that Trump wins Maine. I don't think it's a super high chance, but I think there's a better chance Trump wins Maine than, say, Nevada. Mm-hmm. Um, I, re- I really do. Um, same mm-hmm. goes for New Hampshire. I, I don't, they're not locked or anything. I think they're less, less likely than not. But I'd put the chances in the 30s or low 40s. So I think if Trump wins Maine, I think she's home free. I think uh-huh. if he doesn't, I think if he doesn't, she's more likely than not to squeak by. We'll have to wait and see how strong her opponent is, like how, how, how well they campaign. She could lose. She's definitely lost some support. But I, I, I'm with you in that I don't think she's lost enough to be mm-hmm. not favored, let's say. Okay. Well, now I want to jump across the country to another state that everybody is watching, the state of Arizona. And okay. according to recent fundraising numbers that I know you've seen from both candidates, uh, Arizona could wind up being the most expensive Senate race this year. But will it also be the most competitive? Most competitive? Now, that's an interesting question. I'm not sure. You know what? It's certainly one of the contenders to be most competitive, and, and when I say that, I mean that because what I'm saying is something could be more competitive because McSally might lose by more than you think. Um, really? Martha Mc, I don't think she's going to get blown out or anything, and I think she's still got a decent chance to win. But I think if she – got to understand the way – Arizona is basically Orange County East, okay, or at least Phoenix. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, 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 it has a – when it swings – uh, it, it generally kind of all swings together, or at least most of it does, at least in Maricopa County. As Maricopa County, so goes the state kind of thing. Uh-huh. And, and McSally, while she was popular in Tucson, it's not that popular in Maricopa County. We saw it when she lost last, you know, two years ago. Now, of course, that was a Democratic 
wave year, and it, and, it, and that especially hit the suburbs hard, and it's a very suburban state because of Maricopa County. But uh-huh. who's to say that isn't going to carry over at least somewhat? I I don't think incumbency is going to give her any any extra points because she's only been incumbent for a short, a short time, and she was appointed. Mm-hmm. I don't think she's going to lose a lot of votes from what she got last time. But I don't know how many she's going to gain. I don't think Mark Kelly is as strong as Kirsten Cinema was, but I think he's pretty strong. And yeah, it's going to be expensive as all get out. And I, frankly, if you put a gun to my head today, I'd say McSally loses by a couple points. Okay, so it'll be one we'll be watching late into the night. Uh, yeah, I, I would. I would actually think that 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 Trump would win. Arizona, like if I, I could see Trump winning Arizona by a point or two, and her losing by a point or two. Oh, okay. I could also see I could also see him narrowly pulling her over the line, but but uh-huh. yeah, I I think she I think it's more likely that Kelly wins. I think y'all pick that one up. Uh, uh, you know, again, gun to my head. All right. Well, with that, I'm going to pass it back to David for any more <laughs> questions he has. Thank you for being on with us, Jackson. Thank you. Yes. Well, Jackson, we are going to cover one more state, one more Senate race. But before we get to that, I did want to tell you, because you and Catherine were talking about Georgia, uh, there was a poll that came out recently, um, public policy polling did it, and it actually showed that um, in a you know, race between Collins and Loeffler, Collins was well ahead. I, I did not memorize the numbers, but we talked about it last week on the show, and it was really surprising how big the gap was, and Loeffler yeah, did not connect with yet. It was like two to one, and yeah, yeah. Uh, you're right. I, I saw the same poll, and I'm sure Collins is very happy to see that, and I'm sure he'll try to, or I, I think he will try to make something of it. However, you know, Loeffler probably is more popular among independents, and independents can vote in this. So can a few, so, I mean, I don't think a bunch of Democrats will vote for, maybe a few will if they think the Democrat can't win. In, in the overall primary, I, I think Collins would have a leg up on getting to January, but I don't think Loeffler wouldn't be able to stop him. I think in a in a regular primary, I think he'd stomp her. But you know, yeah, I, I will think I will say this: if you gave Democrats only the choice between Collins and almost anybody, they're going to take almost anybody, and that that's Kelly Loeffler then. But Democrats are probably going to have another choice, um, so therefore sure. uh, that's going to be tricky for Kelly Loeffler to try to get crossover sure. when it, 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 they're it, busy voting for these, Matt Lieberman or Ed Tarver or somebody yet to be named later. Um, it's more the but let's, that, I, that, I, that I was talking about. Oh, yes. Well, um, let's get on to the other state, and that's one that um, we had Dante Cheney from Michigan on the show the other week. Catherine enjoyed that, but you wanted to ask about, or you wanted to discuss Michigan too, and that Senate race. And I do know that um, Gary Peters, there was a poll that came out that showed his um, reelect number was a little anemic for a pretty uncontroversial um, senator from a traditionally blue state. Obviously, we know about you know 2016. So, tell us about Michigan. Well, as you point out, Michigan did very, very narrowly go to Trump in 2016. In 2018, Democrats did pretty dang well. Although it is to be said, Michigan usually swings a little bit more. I think 2016, I don't think it put it in the R column, but I think it did nudge it a point or two 
to the right for the foreseeable future of where it had been, which is about D plus four. So you'd still expect a slight Democratic advantage, um, just just uh, on just generic versus generic. Now, Gary Peters, talk about generic. Um, but that's actually good in this case for him. It, it, it's good and it's bad. As you point out, it makes his reelect numbers kind of anemic because a bunch of people go, who is Gary Peters? Oh, he's your senator. <laughs> really? I've never, I've never heard him. Show him a picture. That looks like my lawyer. That looks like <laughs> one that isn't even that good. You know, like it, it, it's a blessing and a curse. In a state like Michigan, it's a little bit more of a blessing because it allow you know, it, it's you know, some people do know the name, some people do trust it, and it's you know, it's Michigan is a don't rock the boat state, uh, very much so, and he is a don't rock the boat guy. That I think he's more favored for re-election than not. That being said, James, John James did unusually well in 2018. He raised big money. He's raising big money this time. Big money doesn't get you there, but you have to have it to compete in that kind of high profile of a race. He will have the money to compete. We know that now since we've seen the latest numbers. And he, I, I, I would be very surprised if John James got below 47% of the vote. I would also be very surprised if, you know, if Gary Peters got below, I don't know, 48% of the vote. Okay. I could see a scenario in which James beats him 49, 48. Right. Um, There'll always be a few uh, third party. I don't think it's likely but if you're going to see Republicans pick up a Senate seat besides Alabama, that's where it's going to be. I don't think it's likely. But if, if Trump's running up the numbers in the Midwest under that uh, unlikely but very possible scenario, I would expect James to maybe to make it very, very close within a point and maybe pull it off. But I still think Peters is favored. But it's, it's that double-edged sword of being kind of generic and, un, and, and unknown even when you're an incumbent. It, it helps you until it doesn't. If, if, if James somehow gets more notoriety than a sitting senator, name rec matters, you know, it's, it's a chance. And I guess that with, with the Republicans' map, that's what they've got to have as chances because they really don't have a lot of um, no, big opportunities yeah, across it. Um, and as we're I was asking about it, I looked on his website. So I take it you have the – Double set of jar candles for forty-five dollars from James uh, John James campaign. <laughs> no, I do not. Unfortunately, actually, I I, I had I had a little uh, hobby horse where I told people on the website for weeks. I was like, look, when he hadn't announced whether he was running, I was like, look, if I were advising John James, if I were his consultant, because you know I do political consulting for a living, um, I would have told him, hey, look, man, you did a great job in twenty eighteen. Run against Alyssa Slotkin or run against Haley Stevens. You can definitely beat Slotkin, and you can probably beat Stevens. You've got the money. You've got the notoriety. People just, just automatically, just people really like you. You've got the electricity, and those are much easier races to Bigfoot in and win. There's still swing districts. It'll still look impressive, and it'll let you sit out for, another Senate, for an open Senate seat or even open governor if you want it, right? That would have been the smart move, and – I don't know if he's just one of those guys who's, you know, big officer bust, those people exist, or if his consultants really wanted to make money off him. I don't know. But, you know, I, I just really hope someone told him that because otherwise 
I feel really bad about his representation, but I still think he's got a shot. I just think he would have had a better shot, you know, at, at, a, at a house seat to preserve his political viability in the future. Because if he wins, loses closely two times in a row, you start getting a stink on you. Yeah, you've only got so many losses you can withstand typically. Well, um, Jackson, we thank for thank you for coming on. Before you leave, just so people you keep mentioning the, the site, uh, tell people how to get there so they can read you until the next time you're on. Right. So the website is uh, www.rrhelections.com, um, and uh, we put out content basically every weekday, roundups of things, uh, race ratings. Oh, one more thing I did want to announce. It's not for the not for the website, but uh, I am starting my own podcast. It is not out yet, but it will be out soon. And it is just as nonpartisan as I can be, just educational on elections, how they work, all the sort of deep terminology and stuff that a lot of a lot of this stuff is barely written down anywhere. Um, and it's going to be called just the Elections Podcast. Believe it or not, it was not taken. Okay, huh. we'll have to look that up and um, use it as another source of information. All right. Love to be on the show. Thank you guys so much. Sure thing. Thank, Thank you, you, sir. Jack- yes, uh, that's uh, Jackson Dar, future host of the Elections Podcast and uh, one of the bloggers at Red Racing Horses. Um, guys, we got about three or four minutes for one topic. Um, this is something that came out over a week ago, but then at the debate, it kind of hit a new level, um, and that would be the spat between – uh, um, Bernie Sanders and their camps and Elizabeth Warren, and um, they came over to each other. I guess Elizabeth Warren came more to get Bernie Sanders. They didn't shake hands. There was, you could tell they were not getting along. Don't ask me why Tom Steyer came over and or stayed once he got over there. Um, but they're they're still not, you know, seeing eye to eye. And obviously, you can understand why because. They're essentially calling each other liars, if you will, because one of they're both saying and sticking to their story. So one of them's obviously telling the truth, and one's not. And we can all have our theories on it, but they're just not getting along. Um, Catherine, what's your take on this whole thing? Well, I. Uh... I'm not crazy about it. I mean, I'm glad that Elizabeth Warren stood up for herself um, on stage that night. I thought that was really strong. But I sort of feel like that conversation that they had, you know, you can imagine it. Uh, You know, you're talking about the election and you say, well, I think it's going to be hard for a woman to win. I don't think that's sexist or misogynistic necessarily. It's just sort of a comment but the other person could take it a different way especially since they're running for president so I I just sort of feel like it was a a perhaps I don't you know I wasn't there I wasn't a fly on the wall but I just wonder if it may have been taken a little bit out of context I also think that it was sort of an inappropriate question for a debate I mean I just don't like it just seemed like a way of um, stirring things up, and then at the end, I, at the end with the you know, no handshake. I mean, I, that was fine with me. I think she had every reason not to shake his hand. He did call her a liar on 
national TV. And I, I mean, I was kind of proud of her for, for not just automatically shaking his hand and letting it all go. But I also think it should not have come up in that, in that context at all. I, I just don't think CNN and PBS should have asked the question. Well, um, Tim, since the, you know that happened, that's come out, and the debates happened and whatnot. Uh, we do have one poll, uh, maybe not the best poll, but it's a poll of Iowa. Bernie Sanders has dropped to ten percent and is in fourth place um, in that poll. It appears that he is um, coming out on the worst side of this disagreement. What do you think? Yeah, actually, I believe that 10% lands him in fifth place. I could be wrong. I ain't got the poll right in front of me, but I believe that's where it lands him. And, no, I don't see how he could come on out on the winning side of this, to be honest with you. Uh, you, you know, and looking back over history, uh, the seemingly innocent happenings can turn into terrible events for campaigns and 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 basically end them. Uh, if he does crash and burn in Iowa, what other choice do we have to look at except what happened between him and Elizabeth Warren, right? There would be no other explanation. He's been running far, far ahead of this in the polls in Iowa and has actually led in one or two of them. If he suddenly has not even enough votes, which I think 15% is the threshold to get delegates there, uh, it, it would have to be this, wouldn't it? Yeah, I mean, yeah. this would – I mean, there there are maybe been some question marks already, but – he was starting to rise. She was starting to fall. Pete Buttigieg was starting to fall. Um, everybody else was starting to fall except for Joe Biden. And other than, you know, older white dude vote, they're not that similar. I mean, you know, Joe Biden's more moderate, and, and Bernie Sanders is just more, you know, you know, rebel with every cause. Um, mm-hmm. And so – that would seem to be it. It'll be interesting to see how you know how it comes out, or will he get away further away from the scandal and start to rise again? Uh, hard to say because here's the thing: when it comes down to a, an electability argument, I think a lot of women um, out there that would run for public office would have an easier time winning than Bernie Sanders. So really, yes. even though he's male, it's not a good argument for him because if you're right. all about safe electability. I don't think Bernie Sanders is your candidate. That's just my personal take. Mm-hmm. Um, so we shall see. Well, enjoyed having Jackson Dar on, and until next week, it's been the Cozy Vine. Good night, guys. Everybody. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Will a strong and united America still be a force for freedom and prosperity around the world? America- Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.